Welcome to Success Hackers, Cracking the Entrepreneurial Code, the podcast that's focused on empowering entrepreneurs to find the edge and take their business to a whole nother level. We're peeking behind the curtain to learn entrepreneurial shortcuts and success strategies from the most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Get ready for mind-blowing entrepreneurial tips with your host, high-performance business coach, keynote speaker, and author, Scott Hansen. Showtime in three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of Success Hackers. This is Scott Hansen, high-performance business strategist, best-selling author, speaker, and of course, podcast host right here on Success Hackers. It's on Success Hackers that we are all about empowering you our entrepreneurial audience to help you take your business to entirely new heights. We do that by interviewing some of the most talented and successful entrepreneurs on the planet and then having them share their success strategies and hacks with us. If you haven't yet listened to the last episode, make sure to go back and listen because we had on one of the top sales trainers in all of Europe, and uh, he gave us some really great tips on how to close more business and how to step into your own leadership in a successful way. Make sure to listen to my interview with Andreas. Also, remember, stay all the way to the end of the show because I have something very special that I want to share with you, so make sure to stay all the way to the end. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to ask a question here on Success Hackers, if you have a comment, a question, you maybe even have a subject that you would like me to ask about our esteemed guests, you can always email the show at info at successhackers.net, info at successhackers.net. Hacker Nation, let's get down to business. We're about to chat with someone who went from being an executive at various Fortune 500 companies to starting a super successful app. I'm really excited to talk to this gentleman because he's going to be talking about leadership. He's going to be talking about juggling both working for a huge companies and then starting your own business and what it takes. So strap in Hacker Nation because we are going to have some fun today. Today our featured guest is Mr. Peter Lynch. Peter, are you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock. Yes. Peter Lynch has been an executive with multiple Fortune 500 companies, but perhaps what sets him apart is that he's managed to carve out success in both the cubicle and the coffee shop. Why? Because he's an entrepreneur. His app, Digital Fridge, has been downloaded in more than 70 countries and was a twice finalist, once a winner, for Denver's hottest startup. Peter is also a TEDx speaker and has recently completed a successful crowdfunding campaign to launch his first book, The Cul-de-Sac Startup. Peter Lynch, welcome to Success Hackers. It is really great to have you on the show. Hey, Scott. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to chatting. Peter, I gave our Hacker Nation listeners a little information, but would love for you to share a little bit more about you and the business. So Digital Fridge has been um, really a, a passion uh, of mine for the last several years, and I've wanted to get into the technology space for quite some time. Um, I, I had some startups in the past um, that I'd worked on. I had imported a product from overseas, uh, brokered a, a large NASCAR deal, um, just done various things on the, uh, as w- that were a little bit different. But I really wanted to get into the technology space because I love technology and I love what it was doing. And so I began, you know, coming up with a few ideas. And I don't know um, about any, you or anyone listening here on the uh, on the the call, the podcast. But for me, my fridge at home was covered with pictures and drawings and photos. It was kind of our collective family um, portrait studio, if you will. 
And so I knew that we were moving into a new digital age, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to to fix a problem, a problem that many of us have. Um, I looked at my phone, and I saw that I had a couple thousand photos and videos, and I'm sure many of you experienced the same mm-hmm. thing. Yep. And it was hard to find things. It was hard for me to, to search and quickly and easily find things. So we wanted to solve that with Digital Fridge. So Digital Fridge really um, is about media management. So it's about how can we automate uh, metadata application? How can we um, allow you to bucket and organize? And how can we do different things on your phone to make it easier to go back in time and find things that you're looking for? So we work with photos, video, uh, we work with audio. We also help organize check-ins, um, lots of things like that. But it's really a mobile media management system. Very, very, very cool. Yeah, we have that problem here at my house a lot. It's like putting stuff on the fridge, and then you can barely see the handle <laughs> on the fridge. So so take us one step deeper on exactly how it works. And uh, if someone, for example, right now, which probably everybody has a smartphone, how would they actually find it, yeah. and what would they be using it for? Sure. So um, we are currently only um, in the App Store with the iPhone. Um, so you know our, our Phase Two plan definitely is to expand beyond that. But we've been really focused on um, developing our patent and our intellectual property, as well as developing what's working and, and what's not within this app. But you can go, go to the App Store and download it. It's Digital Fridge. Um, you can also find us at digitalfridgeapp.com. Um, if you want some information about it. But basically what happens once you download the tool is it allows you to create these different fridges. And these fridges really begin to operate like folders and filing systems. So, for example, I have a sports fridge. um, And on that fridge, I have all of my sports media. So for my kids, my daughters ride horses, my son plays football, um, you know, all of these things we like to go hiking. I organize all of that media within there. Hmm. Um, you, can, you can also capture media real time within the app itself. But the cool thing is each fridge um, allows you to share it individually. Um, so you can keep a fridge private and only share it with certain people. So, for example, my, my mom who lives in Washington State, um, I have a couple fridges on there and I've shared those with her. So she can go in any time and see the media that I'm posting related to the, that, those topics. So, for example, I have a family fridge. I have a sports fridge. She can go into those and find the media. So in the crowded space called the app space, how is it that digital fridge will try to separate itself from everybody else that does what you do? How do you actually push out an app so that not as it, you know, on all the different platforms and it's a cool thing, but it actually starts making money. How does it actually work? That is the million dollar question. And it's a great <laughs> question. You nailed it when you talked about how crowded the space is. It really is. And, and it's funny. It's, it's, um, it's not nearly as easy as we believed it would be. <laughs> um, as most people, you know, when they step into something, um, but it, it takes, what I've found is, um, it takes a, a there's something really breakthrough in what you're doing. Um, and that's, you know, how the, the likes of Instagram and, and, you know, these apps that really explode Pinterest, that's what they've done. But outside of that, I think, and it's really one of our tenants, it's a tenant, tenant of longevity. Um, the problem with a lot of these startups in this space is they tend to only fund themselves for a very short period of time. And you would think that the app space is a short play, and it's not. It really is a long play. Um, and so you have to set yourself up and your business up to be in it for the long haul. I love uh, Biz Stone at one point, the founder of Twitter. He was interviewed, and they were talking about being an overnight success. And you know, to him, he had spent so much time 
um, iterating, figure out what to do. And, and he understood that it wasn't about overnight. And so he said, timing, perseverance, and 10 years of trying, and you too can be an overnight success. <laughs> and so to me, one of the biggest misconceptions is that people believe the app um, is a, a short play. And um, for most, for most, it's not. Even with Instagram, people, you know, a lot of people would remember when Instagram launched, they launched in November and by January, they had millions of downloads and everybody sees them as a short success. But that was their third iteration at this app and at deploying an app that was successful. So it was their third iteration. I think a big thing it does is it takes time. You also have to, you have to really understand who your audience is and you have to leverage digital marketing like you wouldn't believe. Um, that's where we found really a lot of our success is in going after specific markets. So we understood that that female users, in particular female users with kids, were a great market for us. And when we would do ads on Twitter and Facebook, um, our cost per click or our cost per download went way down when we targeted the right people. Myself and a lot of other people listening are probably saying, how does someone who starts an app, which, you know, to your point earlier, it's a long-term play, it's more intense than you thought it would be, um, how do you make money in the long run with that? Is it is it a valuation play? Is it you're hoping that one day someone buys you out? Or is it, I mean, how do you actually make money? Yeah, there's there's several ways, right? Uh, we were a free app, obviously. There's a lot of apps now are going to a, um, a pay for download, um, which is a growing model within the app space, and I think it's probably a, a successful model for many people that would want to deploy an app. Um, but for us, there's several ways. So one of the ways that we generate revenue is we partnered with a company called Cafe Press, and many people might know them. They basically they will put printed things on. Um, other things. So they'll put pictures on mugs or shirts or all sorts of things. So we created um, an API link in our app so that people could take any of their photos and they can purchase items through Cafe Press. So they can take a picture of their kids playing a sport and put it on a calendar or put it on a t-shirt or put it on a mug or all sorts of things. Um, so there's some in-app revenue opportunities um, that's still a growing opportunity. You know, one, one real popular way too for free apps right now is to, um, to use ad networks and to have advertisements within there. That tends to work best for games though. Um, it can be a little intrusive for others. Plus it takes up a lot of real estate. Um, so that's something that you need to think about. For us though, really the long play for us is to license our intellectual property related to what we're doing. Um, you know, we, we kind of went into it knowing that it would be, a one in a million shot for us to have explosive growth to get into the hundred million user space. You know, it would be really difficult to do that. But we, we were thinking and talking and we decided, you know, if we can actually create something that has immense value and that the market would use, then we might be able to go to one of these players that has been able to get that kind of growth and license that intellectual property to them. So the long play for us is our automated application of metadata to media. So think of it in terms of like tagging, right? The reason that tagging has never worked with photos is because people don't want to take the time to do it. But with all the information that's going on outside of the picture, um, there's a great opportunity to automatically apply metadata to a picture. And I'll, I'll walk you through an example real quick. But um, Apple and Facebook, they've really focused um, around application of metadata, metadata based on what's in the picture, so things like facial recognition. And we decided to go the path of what's outside the picture. So if I'm at a Denver Broncos game, 
and I take a photo, there's lots of information that could be fed to that photo that have nothing necessarily to do with what's in the photo. So I know what time of day it is. I know the weather. I know where I am. I know what location. I know people that are around me. Um, there's NFL data based on, you know, who was involved in specific plays at certain times. So there's all this data that could be applied automatically. Now think, you know, five years into the future, I want to go back and say, hey, Joe, remember that game we were at with the Broncos when Peyton Manning broke that record? I can then go back into my phone, search based on criteria, and find that media. So you're also a TEDx speaker, Peter. What do you speak about um, when you speak on the TEDx stage? Uh, so for me, it was actually, it's the topic that was, that became my crowdfunded book. So it's the cul-de-sac startup. So, um, and the, the tagline, I love the tagline for it. I said, the next Silicon Valley is suburbia. <laughs> and, you know, I, I call it the cul-de-sac startup because, you know, my wife and I live in a cul-de-sac. I have three kids and I actually observed my kids and I learned a lot from them about how you can do more. And um, I, there's actually a picture of my daughter um, that I took where she was asleep in the back seat, but she was bent over and slobbering. I mean, you, I've never seen anyone as asleep as she was. <laughs> and to me, that was when I really started to tap into the idea that I can do more than I think possible if I uh, choose things that to me feel like play and I do things with people that I enjoy. So that I, that's kind of started to frame this idea. Now, I, I spent about two years trying to get into uh, TED to speak, and I made it as a finalist for TEDx Boulder, um, a finalist for TEDx Bend, and then a finalist for TEDx Mile High, and finally made it over the, the hump and was one of the final 13 selected. And they, um, they were telling me they had over 1,000 submissions that year to speak. So it, it's a pretty intense process and lots of people want to do it. So my topic was cul-de-sac startup, the next Silicon Valley of suburbia. And basically, it was about how I entered the startup space and how I felt like more people could do this same thing. A lot of people feel like you either have to have your day job um, or be a startup person. And, you know, one of the big messages in the startup space right now is hustle. And they, they give this perception that you have to be, be able to apply 80 hours a week in order to be successful in a startup. And it's just not true. You know, if you do things different and you think different, you can create a different model. And so I look around and I talk with all my friends that, you know, live in suburbia with me and they all have great ideas. And a lot of them actually have um, more financial ability um, to fund some things than like I did when I was 20. And so I felt like um, there's just this huge group of people that didn't even believe that they could create startups. And so I tested it and it worked. And so my objective was to unleash this army of entrepreneurs that I believe were in a space that they didn't believe they could become entrepreneurs. And so that's what I talked about. I talked about the cul-de-sac startup, and then I talked about three real key things. So the first is find something that feels like play. Two is get sticks, which is really all about finding shortcuts. And the other is get community or get to know your neighbor, which is about surround yourself with amazing people. Wow, I love that. Hacker Nation, there you go. I mean, Peter's dropping some great golden nuggets on just not only the startup process, he talked about the TEDx, but just about the mindset and, and becoming a, you know, a successful startup. I love how he put it too, which was, it's not a short-term play. You know, you think of all these companies that Peter mentioned, you know, that were the quote-unquote overnight success, but they're not. And that's just like in any business, whether it's a startup or you're, you're literally making the leap from being, you know, in the corporate space, like, like Peter was, and then over to becoming an entrepreneur, it takes time. And 
speaking of time, we, we actually have something on the show that I want to talk to you about. It's called the fail forward stage. Nice. And um, during the fail forward stage, we get really intimate with our guests because <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, everybody that's been in your seat, Peter, has has shared with us that they failed and they failed a lot and they continue to fail, but they continue to fail on their way to success. So take us back to that one moment that you failed. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, there's been more than one moments and <laughs> more than one, <laughs> which I'm sure there was, but take us back to a specific failure that you remember vividly that, but that was maybe the one failure that put you on the right path to where you're at today. Yeah, man. I, I, and and Hacker Nation, I would say, we, we it's, 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 it can sound cliche, but, you know, I have this posted on my wall. It's fall seven, get up eight. You're going to fail a lot, right? If, oh, if I love that. People that are successful will, will fail. You know, there's no question. Um, you have to have thick skin. You got to be willing to get past it. You got to be willing to move on. But probably my biggest failure um, and there's so, it's funny because there's so much success as part of this story. It ended in failure, but it was such a lesson for me. And this was about, um, about seven or eight years ago. Now, probably about eight years ago. Um, I was um, asked by a friend to help broker a NASCAR deal. And so they were f- connected with this person, Robbie Gordon and Robbie Gordon Motorsports. And he was going out to bid and he was trying to get, um, um, Dish Network to select him because Dish Network was going to sponsor a driver. And so we went and there were 28 drivers that were trying to get Dish Network to sponsor them. And Robbie Gordon was number 27 on the list <laughs> that they were interested in. <laughs> so we went in there. I spent time with Robbie. But what I did differently is I, I told Robbie, I said, this NASCAR proposal is not going to be like your traditional po- proposal. I said, I'm going to make it different. And he was a little hesitant, but over time, he, he started to really understand. So what I did is I actually started studying the business, and we ran analytics on um, markets. They were looking at the Hispanic market, and Robbie was really big in Baja. And so I started running Google Analytics on Robbie versus all the other drivers and how much more he impacted them. I talked with the Menard family out of Menards out of the Midwest, Ended up getting a, a co-deal as part of this to say, you know, we'll get end caps in the stores. I mean, we we put the iron down and we drew a new line in the sand. We took Robbie from number 27 on this list to number two. We made it to the final two, to the table, the final against Roush Fenway, one of the biggest names in NASCAR. And I was feeling so pumped and excited. Well, Roush Fenway at the at the eleventh hour, came back, and for the it was, this was the first time this had ever happened in NASCAR. They offered Dish Network a multi-driver deal, so they got three of their different drivers as part of this deal, and Dish just couldn't turn it down. I remember us. This was a ten million dollar deal. It was going to be a big payoff for us. I remember us sitting down and being so depressed because we had done so much work, and it was such a great proposal. And, you know, I, I remember I sent an email to the president of Dish Network and he responded and he said, listen, I, kudos to you. The, the proposal was one of the best we've ever seen. We just couldn't say no to what was one of the best deals we've ever seen in NASCAR. And, um, Robbie Gordon sent me an email and he said, Peter, he said, I just want to let you know that this is the best proposal I've ever seen in NASCAR. And so 
it was a huge failure and we were really bummed. But at the end of the day, that taught me so much about what it takes to be different and to separate yourself from the crowd. And, and the beauty of competition and the beauty of, of business and, and what this, you know, this is why we are entrepreneurs. This is why we do this because it's not the same. It's different every time. Um, it was such, it, to me, I've applied those lessons in everything I've done. So even like when I pitched to Ted, I, I, I told myself, I said, I'm going to take a different angle. And I did, and it, it helped. So although it was an immense failure and something I would have loved to have completed, um, at the end of the day, it taught me so much. I absolutely love that story. 77 guests we've had on the show, or maybe even more now. I lost track, and <laughs> I've never had it put that way. Yeah, really, it was a it was a million dollar payoff for me, or a zero the zero dollar payoff. So, right, there was no middle ground in that, except for the beauty of the lessons that I got. What a great mindset! The beauty of the lesson. I love that. I love how you put that in. Such a, it's such a great mindset that you have. I can just tell why you've been so successful in Hacker Nation. Just take what Peter is is shared with us. It's such it's such a mindset shift. I mean, yes, I'm sure at the time it was <laughs> tough thinking about man that was seven figures that would have went in his pocket. But I mean, in the long haul. Not only is he sharing that story here on Success Hackers, but he's learned so much and become so much more grateful, thankful, and more successful because of that one lesson. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Peter. As you know, our Hacker Nation community listens to the show for actual success hacks and strategies to help grow themselves and their business. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. What's one success hack? that you can share that will allow our Hacker Nation community to really help them grow themselves and or their business? I know that there is a lot, but yeah. what's one that's really stuck out for you that's helped you that you can help our listeners? Yep, so it's get sticks. So if you're if you're sitting somewhere where you can write something down, write get sticks down. And I'm going to tell you a little story about what happened. So this, this kind of lesson I learned when my son was out in the cul-de-sac. How many of you, I'm sure a lot of you have played cul-de-sac kickball, right? It's probably one of the best things in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. so I see, you know, there's 15 kids from the neighborhood playing kickball in the cul-de-sac. And I want to be part of it and kind of help them. So I, I go outside and I yell to my son and I say, Cole, I said, I'm going to run down um, to Target. I'm going to buy you guys some bases. And he yells back to me and he said, Dad, we don't need bases. We have sticks. And what they had done, right, is they went out and found sticks and first base and second base and third and home were all just piles of sticks. Now, it was a really profound moment for me, and it wasn't but a week later. I was sitting at Starbucks with a young entrepreneur who wanted me to review his business plan, um, and he wanted to get my uh, opinions and advice. And so I'm looking through his business plan, and he was looking for $100,000 in funding, and he wanted to deploy a technology to restaurants. And while I'm reading this, in the back of my mind, I keep hearing, get sticks, get sticks. And so I looked at him and I said, how much time do you have? And he said, well, he had a couple hours. So I said, all right, let's go. We got up, we went to Best Buy, looked around, and we found something close to what he was looking for from a technology perspective, and we bought it. We spent $75 on it. We then got back in the car and started driving to restaurants. We got to the ninth restaurant, and the manager liked what we were selling him, and he said, I'm in. We spent two hours, $75, and we had a customer and a product. 
we thought different, right? Instead of going and going for the whole kit and caboodle, we said, what can we do with what's right in front of us? And, and how can we actually start to move? And I love, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk has a great quote. He said, ideas are shit. He said, if you think that your idea is um, unique and if you're the very first person to think of it, he said, you're wrong. He said, you know, success goes to the people that move and create action. And so this whole idea of get sticks is whatever you're doing or working on right now, take a second and think about how can I find a shortcut? How can I get there quicker? How can I just start to move? And when I started to apply that to myself, it was amazing to me how much the, the, the ask financially went down, how shortened the time frame for success became. It just really transformed everything I did. Wow, what a great story. What a great success hack. But I'm going to take you one step further. I normally don't do this during this round, but I'm fascinated by the get sticks concept. But you said just move, just make things happen, do things different. Yeah. But if someone's listening, you're like, wow, that sounds great. But, I, man, I'm, I'm the solopreneur. I got one person besides there me, and I'm trying to make things happen. What is that? Take us to a, maybe a real live example of what someone can do to apply that. Yeah. And, you know, if, if it's okay, this kind of leads into a, a second hack, if you will. Please. And it's, it's get community. Um, as a solo entrepreneur, you're not going to be great at everything. You have got to surround yourself with people that are better at things than you. And you have to feed off of that. So, I mean, just, it's funny this morning, you know, the person who connected you and I is Mark Sanborn, New York Times mm-hmm. bestselling author. Just this morning, I went to his office and, and we were brainstorming on his book. And he gave me an idea as part of that for something that I'm doing and delivering next week. You know, it's something that I couldn't have come up with. So you have to invest, you have to find community, and you have to, you have to engage that community. You know, it's interesting. There was a study that was done by um, the Mayo Clinic, and they, they were studying diets, and they were trying to figure out what, you know, what diets are the best. And so they studied the 10 best-known diets in the world, and it was one of the largest studies ever. It was 10,000 people over about 10 years. And what they found was the success rate for all 10 of those was almost identical, and it was very small, with one exception. If there was this one ingredient involved, then the results were 225% higher. That ingredient was connection and community. If you were part of a community, the results were 225% higher. As a solopreneur, I I would really challenge to say, get six is important, but also you have to have this community to tap into. And so how did that work for us? Well, I, I mean, it's worked in several ways, but you know, one of the key ways was um, I, I don't bring everything to the table that I need um, related to our app. So I didn't know everything. So I had two people who wanted to join and I felt like it was an important thing because I didn't bring everything to the table. So I, I brought in um, Rob and Todd and these guys brought amazing skills that I didn't have. And when we were going through the process of building out our intellectual property, Rob, who is brilliant, especially from a legal perspective, he helped us get over a hurdle that I would have, I guarantee you, I would have never been able to get us over, and that would have killed our company. Because this is our play. Our play is now this long-term intellectual property play. But if it wasn't for him, 
we would have never gotten over this and we would have never even had the opportunity. So that's how that played out for me. And when, when the, when, when I needed the help and when we needed the help as a business, because we had that community, it showed up at just the right time. Peter, we are now going to enter the randomness round. But before we do, I just want to remind all the listeners to stay till the very end of the show because I have something I want to bring to your attention. All right, Peter, we are now entering the randomness round. It's kind of like putting you on the success hackers version of the hot seat. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what, I'm a little nervous. Whatever is the first answer that comes to mind, just let it rip. So, Peter Lynch, are you ready for the randomness round? I am ready. Best advice you've ever received? Take the truck to the hay, not the hay to the truck. What's a daily habit that you do sometime throughout the day that puts you in a great frame of mind? Uh, kiss my kids goodbye. You now own a time machine. I want you to travel back in time to when you were 25 years old again. What advice would your current self, knowing about business and life, give your 25-year-old self? Um, get to know Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> what's the one trait that you have that's contributed to your success passion 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 what's a hidden talent that you have that most people may not know about you technical acumen what's one book that you've read that's made an impact on your business fred factor if you can recommend one social media tool or overall service to our hacker nation what would that be uh, any journaling tool the five. Peter, you are now officially off the randomness round hot seat. This has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for your time and also sharing these incredible success strategies with our hacker nation. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your business, maybe your book and your app, of course? Yeah, you bet. So you can go to PeterALynch.com or on social media, I tend to use the credential Biz and the Geek. So you can find me there on Twitter. Um, uh, all sorts of places. Hacker Nation, make sure to head over to successhackers.net. That's successhackers.net for this episode's show notes and recap from today's incredible interview with Peter, along with some other really cool new resources we have on the site. Oh, when you're on the site, don't forget to hit subscribe to get all the latest and greatest new episodes. Before we end the show today, I want to make you all aware of something. Besides being the creator and host here on Success Hackers, I'm also a business strategist, and after years of working with small business owners, I've learned there are five specific areas in every business where there's a treasure trove of untapped revenue and profits, but for whatever reason, 99% of all business owners know nothing about them, and they're missing a gold mine because of it. After I discovered actually how bad this is, I now perform what I call 40-minute business makeovers where I can guarantee to help any small business owner find at least $10,000 in their existing business in less than 40 minutes without spending a cent on marketing or advertising. Well, I want to make this available to you, my loyal Hacker Nation listeners, completely complimentary. But we only have a handful of spots available. So if you're an existing business owner, you want me to help you find revenue in your existing business without you spending any money on advertising, head over to 40 Minute Makeover. That's 40MinuteMakeover.com, 40, F-O-R-T-Y, Minute Makeover. Com for additional information on how you can grab one of these spots available. This is Scott Hansen saying thanks again for listening to another episode of Success Hackers. Until the next show, go out and live with passion.